0: All right, we want to welcome all of you to our Sunday morning services here at Grace Church at Franklin in Franklin, Tennessee. We're located on Arno Road. For those of you who may be visiting Nashville, we invite you to come out and to worship with us. Be delighted to have you. We're having people who are slowly coming back after all of this coronavirus Uh, issues that we've had here for going on two years now. The Bible says in Psalm 92, it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. So we're going to begin our services as we always do with some songs of praise to the Lord. Brother Joshua is going to lead us.
1: number 13 in your hymnal. If y'all wouldn't mind standing up with us as well. Number 13, and it's up on the board. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the That merch. <laughs> Let's go back one slide, guys. I apologize. Crazy. That y'all can be seated. I usually use that red hymnal and I have it written in there. I added a verse, but I've got this blue one right here. That's a, it's an awesome one of my favorite hymns, and that's an extra verse that's not in our hymnal. But I got to remember that we're singing it right. <laughs> okay, I think we'll have whoever.
2: Good morning. <clears throat> I want to welcome you all to the services of Grace Church at Franklin and say a special welcome to any first-time visitors that we have here with us today. <clears throat> we want to ask that if you did not get an opportunity to sign our registry that is located on the round table in the foyer, to please do so as you exit, just so that we might have a record of your attendance today. This is a time of our service where we take a moment just to mention a few prayer requests before the congregation and ask that as the Lord brings them to your mind this week, that you would lift them up before Him. Joe and Brett Moran want to continue to thank you for your continued prayers for their niece, Laura Jackson, and for Joe's co-worker, Jay Copeland. We also want to pray for Sandra Zimmerle. She's asked uh, prayer as she tries to sell some land that she owns. It's good to see Lee Barton here with us today. We're glad to have him here. We also want to continue to pray for Carl Perry. We want to continue to remember Shirley Murphys, who's here with us today. And also for uh, Nelson and Linda. Uh, They've asked prayer for Angela uh, Whitley. Uh, And also for their, um, she's having some recent heart transplant um, and right and plural effusion. Have they found anything out on that yet? much Much better. Good. So we praise the Lord for that and just continue to remember her before the Lord. Also, we want to remember Evelyn Carrico's sister, Betty, who is having some health issues, and continue to remember Howie Smith as he serves in our military. And uh, we want to remind you that um, there will be no fellowship dinner uh, today. We normally have that the first Saturday of the month, but due to the holidays and other things going on, we've tried to give you a break from that. We also want to let you know that on the foyer, in the round table in the foyer, is a sheet for Kroger's. If you're interested in a job opportunity or know someone who is, they're asking for help at their Franklin Road location there in Brentwood, so that information is on the round table of the foyer. Tibetha is here today and her husband. We want to welcome you visiting us today. And just as a reminder, if you want to support the Ministry of Grace Church, we do have an offering box that's located in the round table in the foyer again, and you can put your gift in there. And we thank you for... uh, for your service here at Grace Church, for supporting this ministry, allowing us to reach the gospel all across, not only here in this place, but through our uh, internet ministry on Ustream and uh, YouTube and Sermon Video Audio. So thank you for that.
0: Thank you, Brother Todd. Good to see all of you today. I do want to remind you before we observe the Lord's Supper uh, that, uh, in fact, I think I'm going to have this typed up, or I'll type it up myself, of, of the ministries that you, by your gifts, support through this assembly. Not only are we on the Internet, uh, on uh, YouTube, Ustream, and Sermon Audio Video. But uh, we support a radio program called Iron Sharpens Iron. You can pick it up on your, your phones or your internet. Chris Arnson. Uh, we support Daniel Shanks, who is a missionary in Dominica. Uh, we support uh, missionaries that have a training school to train people for the ministry in South Africa. Uh, We have sent almost 600 Bibles, or 540, I think, to be exact, to Nigeria. And we also support Grace Centers of Hope, which is up in Michigan, in Pontiac, Michigan, as well as keeping the lights on in this place and allowing me to eat something next week. All of these things you support, and we want you to know that we deeply, deeply appreciate it. On the first Sunday of each month for years and years we have observed the Lord's Supper and we usually have dinner following this but we limit some of those dinners during this time of the year. There's so much activity in November, December and even in January and that's why we're not having a fellowship dinner today. But we are going to fellowship with one another, and we're going to fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad to see all of you. I hope you'll pay attention to those who are still missing in our ranks, and uh, that you'll give them a call and let them know that we are missing them. Many people are still kind of staying away because of the coronavirus. The Lord Jesus Christ assembled with his disciples, and he assembled with them to partake of the Passover meal. Of course, we know and believe, and it is taught in the book of Romans, that our Lord Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. We offer him up to the Father as our sacrifice, being cleansed by his blood and his substitutionary death. He sat down with his disciples on the eve of the Passover, and I've no doubt that perhaps he enlarged a little bit about the Passover and how he is the fulfillment of that Passover. And they partook of bread and wine. Now you have to know then that if Jesus partook of bread and wine before before he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, before he was beaten and interrogated by the romans and finally crucified you have to know that when he said take and eat this is my body this must mean this is a symbol of my body this is not really my body this is a symbol of it this is uh, something that pictures to you my body which is going to be crushed and when you take that bread and you crush it in your teeth with your Jaws, you should remember how our Lord Jesus Christ was crushed under the judgment of God for our sins, and when He said, "Take this, this is wine, this is my blood, which is shed for you," His blood was still in His veins. He had not been beaten. He had not spilled him in His blood, any of His blood. So that must mean this is a symbol of my blood. This is an, an emblem. This is a a, a picture. Of my blood, which will be shed out, and so when you take that wine, you should remember that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was shed on Calvary for our sins. I'm going to read some passages of Scripture after everyone is served, and I will be reading some passages of Scripture while you are coming up to uh, to serve your, yourself. Now, what we're doing, <clears throat> and we've been doing this since uh, uh, since the coronavirus uh, has occurred in this country, and I think everybody likes it okay, we have wine and bread down here. We're going to file out row by row. The bread is in a cup as well as the wine, and you take that. If you wish to participate, you take that, and then you return to your seat, and after everyone has served, then I'll lead you, and we will all partake together. First, let's pray. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have come here today to worship him. We've come here, O oh Father, because we have a Savior, we have a substitute. We have one who stood in our very room and stead, who stood between the halls of judgment and condemnation and took our sins upon himself and gives us his righteousness, his righteousness to all who come to him in faith, believing on him, confessing him as their Lord and Savior. How thankful we are that today we can rejoice because we have hope in life and we have hope in death and we have hope in eternity. We pray now that you will sanctify to us all that we're going to do as we remember our Lord in his death for us. I thank you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, let's all stand up together. And uh, Elder Turner and Elder Foster can lead us, and we'll begin. Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he was desirous to see him, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. And then he questioned him with many words, but Jesus answered him nothing. And the chief priest and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. And the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people, said unto them, You have brought this man unto me as one that perverts the people, and behold, I have examined him, and I find no fault in him, touching those things whereof you accuse him. No Herod finds no fault in him either, for I sent him to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will chastise him and release him. But they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, release unto us Barabbas. Barabbas was a thief, and he was put in prison for murder also. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. They cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I find no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were urgent with their loud voices, inquiring that he might be requiring that he might be crucified, and the voices of them and of the chief priest prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. And as they led him away, they laid upon one Simon, a Cyrenian coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus turned to those women who were weeping, and he said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children." For behold, the days are coming into which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the breast which never gave suck. And then they shall begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? Even in our Lord's death, in his preparation for death, you can see substitution. They had a fellow named Barabbas who deserved to die, and then they had the Lord Jesus Christ. And they wanted the criminal to be released and Jesus to die. And so he died in the place of Barabbas, just like he dies in the place of all sinners who come to him. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, written by the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, regarding the Lord's Supper, beginning in verse 23 of the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. It is written, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he'd it, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. We thank the Lord that he took a body that it might be broken for our sakes. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. We thank the Lord that having taken a body, he was willing to shed his blood for our sakes. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Our Father, we call once again upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus. How we thank you that you sent him into the world, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We are so thankful that you, in your wisdom, found a way to be just and to justify the sinner that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you. We thank you. We ask that you will be here with us in these services, that you will bless your word and the teaching thereof, that you will give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that understand, for the honor and glory of him who loved us and gave himself for us, even our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to do an old song for you, an old hymn, and you can sing along with us. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Let's stand together. So good to see all of you today, and I hope you've had a good week, and I hope you're looking forward to a good week this coming week. They're saying we're going to have some warmer climbs here the first part of the week. Sit down. No, we're gonna let them stand up. <laughs> are you gonna let them <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from
0: Saints on
3: every hand Shouting victory The song of the sweetest praise drift back from heaven's shore And I can't feel like home In this world anymore Oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you If heaven's not my home Then Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me From heaven's open door command, the precious blood he shed has washed me white as no. and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home. Let's oh. sing that again oh, that was not get out in the world and listen to all that they have to say, and you know what happens? You go, where am I? I don't believe anything that's going on in the world today. So you can go home and sing this, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. <laughs> I like that.
0: You'll just remain standing for the reading of Scripture. We're glad to have all of you who are here today, and if you have your Bibles, get ready to open it to Genesis chapter 39, and we'll continue in our story of Joseph, and today will be the 19th study regarding Joseph, a wonderful, wonderful picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to ask the Lord to help us this morning as we look into his holy word. Ah, Bye. Uh-huh. did you get this microphone? Thank you. Psalm 30, Psalm Genesis chapter 39. I got a psalm in my mind. Genesis chapter 39. So glad to have all of you. Again, this is the 19th study on the story of Joseph. And I've titled this message, Reluctantly, the power of slander. The power of slander. We know that Joseph is serving in the house of Potiphar. I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. It says in verse 11 It came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand, and he fled, and he got him out, got himself out. And it came to pass, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, she called unto the men of the house. And she spake unto them, and she said, See, he hath brought a Hebrew unto us to mock us. And he came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass, when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, and he left his garment with me, and fled, and got out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord, that's her husband, came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant, which you brought in unto us, came in to mock me. And It came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me, and fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard these words of his wife when she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word, and let God's people say, Praise the Lord. And you may be seated. In our last study, we saw Joseph thrown into prison. And I remind you that he's in prison for two reasons. He's in prison for a divine reason, and he's in prison for a demonic reason. He was in prison by the permissive will of God, but he's in prison because of the slanderous lie of a woman Joseph was only 17 years old when God gave him not one, but two dreams. I've already established in an earlier study that because we have the completed will of God today, we don't need dreams to know the will of God. But the word of the Lord to Joseph was through that dream. And that dream told Joseph, and he told his brothers and his fathers, that he was going to be exalted to a high position. He was going to be given an exalted position, a position that would require his brothers to bow down to him. And as I say, this was repeated in a second dream, and as Joseph will tell the Pharaoh himself later in Genesis 41, when God sends two dreams and the same message is in the second dream, Joseph said it means that the will of God is established, that this is something that will certainly happen. The question is, how will Joseph obtain this great and powerful position? Well, this is the catch. The path to the position of power was not revealed to him. He had no idea that his path to power would mean being sold by his brothers to Ishmaelites who would again sell him to a heathen sun worshiper named Potiphar who would put him in prison because of a slanderous lie told by Potiphar's wife. So here we have three lessons that we can learn very quickly. The first lesson, lesson number one, is this. I have to relate this to us or it won't really mean anything to us. Our journey is much like the journey of Joseph. If you are among the number who has called upon the name of the Lord for salvation, if you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have come to Christ, if you confess that Jesus is the Christ, He's the Messiah, He's your Lord, He's your Savior, He's your salvation, then according to the Bible you are destined to be in heaven with Christ. But you don't have a clue as to where your path to heaven will lead. The Lord alone knows our future and how we're going to get there. And so there are two things that we need to do, and you're going to hear me emphasize this over and over again, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. What we need to do is we need to walk with the Lord, and number two, we need to trust Him day by day, knowing that He will work things out for our good and for His glory. If we in fact do belong to the Lord, it will all work out as He has purposed, and we will arrive in glory there to be with the Lord and with His saints forever. So let's resolve, like Joseph, that regardless of what comes our way, we're going to keep on serving the Lord regardless of the circumstances. And I hope you will remember this in the coming days because I have a feeling that things are going to get worse in this country for Christians unless the Lord gives us divine intervention. Lesson number two, the trials and the troubles of life usually prove or disprove our faith. Did you know that this secret, this secret that the trials and troubles of life usually reveal our faith, usually prove our faith or disprove our faith. That has proven to be a stumbling block for many people. Now, if you've never heard of or even read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, you should obtain a copy and study it. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the so-called Prince of Preachers who died in 1892, read the Pilgrim's Progress over 100 times. And you may not know it, but once upon a time, it was required reading in all of the schools in America. Pilgrim's progress shows that the way to the celestial city is fraught with many dangers and many snares. And Mr. Bunyan shows that multitudes who start out for glory turn out of the way, because of trials, and because of troubles, and because of temptations. But if you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, you can read the Bible, I'm sure. And Mr. Bun- Mr. Bunyan got everything he said from Scripture. It was Spurgeon who said that if you pricked John Bunyan anywhere, you'd get Bible. Wherever you pricked him, he was just full of Scripture. By the way, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he wrote all those other books while he was in prison. What was he in prison for? He was in prison for preaching the gospel, quote, without a license. They'd gotten to the place where the state had to authorize you. We're coming to that place. The state has to authorize you. If you want your gifts to be tax deductible, if you want to be able to freely say whatever's in the Scripture, you're going to have to pay some taxes. You're going to have to get in line with the, with the government. And that's what happened in, in Bunyan's day. And so he was put in prison. And when he went to prison he left a blind a blind daughter. So he had a hard time. But while he was in prison he wrote all these wonderful books that we read. And the Pilgrim's Progress probably his most famous. But he got everything he said from Scripture. Our Lord taught this very same thing in his parables. For example, and I'm going to expose you to one. You don't have to turn over there right now. But in the first 12 chapters of the Gospel of Matthew there are no parables. Beginning in chapter 13, Jesus began to speak in parables. And one of the first parables, maybe the first parable that he taught, was the parable of the sower and the seeds, or the four kinds of hearers. And this is what he says in that parable. I'll tell you where you can find it, and you can look it up later. First he says that some hear the word of promise, but they don't press forward to really understand it. And so they have the word and its promises snatched from them, And they eventually fall by the wayside. That's Matthew chapter 13, verse 19. Secondly, he said, this is Jesus, our Lord, speaking here. He said, some hear the word of God and immediately with joy seem to rejoice in it. But down the road, when trouble or persecution arises because of the word, they quit, they turn back, they wither away. Matthew chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Then in the third place, he said, Some hear and seem to receive the Lord's word, but by and by, because of the worries of life and the deceitful pleasures of wealth, all they claim to have believed comes to nothing. So it is as though they never really heard at all. Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. Now in this parable of the sower and the seeds, only one in four who professed faith in the Word of God, press on regardless of the situation or the circumstance. I want to be in that number, don't you? By the grace of God, I want to press on through the trials of life like Joseph did. If I have truly embraced Christ, I will continue in the faith until the end. Pressing on doesn't save you, but it may show whether or not you are saved. Here's the third lesson. The third lesson is the trials and troubles in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ have proved to be a stumbling block for many. Nobody who knew Joseph and all he was going through would have ever believed that he was the future governor of Egypt. And nobody who knew Jesus and all he was going through would believe that he was the only begotten Son of God, that he was the promised Messiah, that he was the Savior of the world. Somebody said years ago, nobody will believe this stuff but a fool or a Christian. And Paul said, we are fools for Christ's sake, First Corinthians 4 and verse 10. This is why multitudes have rejected Jesus as the true Messiah, especially the Jewish people. You see, the idea that they had of the Messiah was that he would manifest himself in full glory and he'd simply take over the kingdoms of this world and there would be no lowly birth in a manger, no question of who his father was, no prostitutes or worldly folks in his family history, no rejection by those who hear him, and certainly no ignominious death by crucifixion. How in the world Can a person who suffered all of these things be the Son of God, be the promised Messiah, be the Savior of the world? They said when they stood around his cross, he can't save himself. How can he save anybody else? And of course, they did not realize, as I mentioned last week, that they spoke the truth. If he had saved himself, we would have to die in our sins because he didn't come here for himself, he came here for his people. He was crucified. But to the, the, the casual observer, all the events that befell our Lord Jesus Christ would seem to indicate that he could not be the most blessed Messiah. In other words, everything that happened to Jesus has proven to be a stumbling block for multitudes. Listen to the Apostle Peter. I quote him from 1 Peter chapter 2. He said, unto you which believe he is precious. But unto them who are disobedient, who fall away, who turn back, who do not persevere, the stone which the builders disallowed has been made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, who are disobedient, whereunto they were also appointed. As I said, the same goes for Joseph. However, in spite of all that happened to Joseph, in spite of what anyone believed about Joseph, Joseph was destined to be the governor of Egypt. And he kept on serving the Lord. He was determined to go on. And I am too, and I hope you are too, many are not. In fact, the Bible tells us, from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that one of the signs of the so-called last days I'll tell you why I say so-called last days in quotation marks in just a moment. In fact, I think I'll tell you now. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 1, you get your Bible and you read Hebrews chapter 1, it says, In sundry times and in divers manners, God spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. He has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So the last days began with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been in the last days for over 2,000 years. Now, I don't know where we are with regard to the second coming of Christ. I think we in America are very spoiled, and we think things are bad. They're not nearly as bad as they're going to be if these things do in, indeed come to pass in our generation. But here's what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in the Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. He said, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, that you not be soon shaken up in your mind, or don't be troubled by spirit, or by a word, or by any so-called letter from us that the day of Christ is at hand. You see, somebody, somebody was spreading the rumor, circulating the lie that Paul was teaching that the return of Christ was about to happen and he's writing to say, I haven't circulated any kind of a letter, I haven't said anything or preached any message to say that the return of Christ is right here in the next few days or next few years. He goes on to assure them that a great sign that will alert them that the last days have begun. And what is that sign? It is the sign of apostasy, the sign of a falling away, the sign of people leaving the faith. This is what he says: Let no man deceive you by any de- any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. The falling away, people leaving the faith, leaving the churches. And by the way, I should have brought the statistics that I researched here in the last week or two. Thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people are leaving the churches today. They're leaving because they're not really hearing anything. They're leaving because they don't really believe anything. They don't have a God who rules and reigns. They don't have a God who can save them. So I'm asking, will we be part of a falling away, or will we, by the grace of God, keep on serving our Lord regardless? Because trials and troubles often reveal what we really are. And trials and troubles... Can reveal the faithfulness of the Lord also. He designs our path in such a way that we might be a testimony both of our genuineness and of His great grace. Now, doesn't it make sense to you that if we've been bought with a price, if we've been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, if God gave His Son to save us from our sins, doesn't it make sense to you that He would direct our paths? He directs our paths because such a high price has been paid for us. And I assure you that just as nothing happened to Joseph that did not advance him along the path God had ordained for him, so it is with every child of God. Everything was in the plan of God for Joseph. And we must hear this over and over and over again. Learn to trust the Lord regardless of your situation. Learn to be able to sing praises to Him when you're lying on the, in the hospital bed as well as when you just won the lotto. Learn to praise Him regardless of the situation. And two marvelous things will result. Number one, you'll come out victorious. And number two, you'll glorify Him. This is what Joseph did, and this is what we should do. So as we're seeing in the case of Joseph, the Lord may even use wicked men and wicked women to accomplish His will for us. He used His wicked brothers to save Him. He used this wicked man, Potiphar, to buy Him, and He used His Potiphar's wicked wife to put Him in prison. And we'll see why in the next few weeks. He did this very th- same thing in the life of His beloved Son, who is our Savior. The Father sent His Son into the world to die a substitutionary death. It was the Father's plan for His only begotten Son to die on a cross in order to redeem a number, which no man can number, of every nation and every tribe and every tongue. But how was this plan carried out? How was this brought to pass? How were all of these prophecies concerning the Messiah fulfilled? Well, we can't deny that God used wicked people. He used Annas and Caiaphas, who were high priests of the Jews. And they were the ones who plotted against Jesus and sent out the mob to arrest him. Who can deny that wicked men pledged to Rome like Herod and Pontius Pilate were used? Who can deny that God used a betrayer like Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve apostles? Who can deny that even the devil himself who moved these people to do what they did, who can deny that even the devil himself was used to bring Jesus Christ to his predestinated cross when God sent him into the world far in the, the first place. Now, to the Jews, and I'm going to read this translation. It's kind of my translation. You can find it in John chapter 8, verse 44. To the Jews... The Lord said this to this group of Jews. They said that Abraham was their father. They said that they were children of Abraham, and they said that God was their father. If you read all of the 8th chapter of John, this is what he said. Jesus said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he has never stood by the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he tells a lie, he speaks in character, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. Now this brings us to the second part of this study, the emphasis today about the power of slander. Did you know that this world is under judgment because of slander? Did you know that we come into this world under condemnation? Read John chapter 3. We all know John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But have we read down to verse 36? This is the condemnation, that life has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. And he that hath not believed on the Son of God is under the condemnation of God. That's in John's Gospel, chapter 3. This world is under judgment. We have come into this world under condemnation because of slander. The Lord Jesus Christ had to come into the world and suffer and bleed and die for us because of slander. Now, I'm going to tell you about the origin of that slander in more detail, God willing, in the next couple of studies. But let's, let me open it up a little bit for you today. All slander comes from The one we call the devil. Now his name is not devil. His name is not Satan. His name is not dragon. His name is not serpent. His name is Lucifer. He is the devil. He is Satan. He is the dragon. Those are all descriptive terms. For example, the Queen of England. What is her name? Queenie? Well, you'd get in trouble if you called her Queenie they think you're talking about Chuck Berry, who sang, go, 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 little Queenie. Well, her name is not Queenie. Her name is Elizabeth. But her position is she's queen. Lucifer is his name. It means light bearer. But he has become the devil and Satan in all of these other things. So all slander comes from the devil. Our English word devil is a translation of the Greek term diabolos, which means false accuser, slanderer. The reason behind the disease and the destruction in this world, the reason we all have to die, the reason Joseph is in prison, the reason our Lord Jesus Christ had to suffer to save us is because of the slanderer, the liar. Lucifer. I want to say it again. The cause of the sufferings of the children of God down through history, which culminated in the sufferings of the Messiah for them, is the slander of God by the Father of Lies. The original slanderer is Lucifer. And this means then that the war in this world. Uh, that has to do with the Christians, with the children of God. This means that we are not really the object of the wrath of the devil. The Lord is. And I'll show you that. You remember, and I'll go into this in more detail. You remember in Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent came to uh, Eve and questioned what God had said to her and questioned his motives for telling her, as God said, you may not eat, freely eat of all, the, all of the trees in the garden. And she said, oh, yes, we can eat of every tree of the garden, but there's one tree. He said we shouldn't eat of that, because if we eat of that tree, we'll die. And here goes the slanderer. He called God a liar. He said, no, the reason he's doing that is because he knows that if you assert yourself, if you say, I don't need you to tell me what's right and wrong, I'll decide for myself what's right and wrong. If you do that, your eyes will be opened, and you will be as gods, and you will determine for yourself what is good and what is evil. You see, the slanderer slandered God to Adam and Eve, to Eve in this instance, and they believed in Him, and thus came what we call the great fall, the fall of man into sin. And everything from that point to this point has changed. Let's do a little thinking. When Adam and Eve were created, the slanderer already existed. So how did Lucifer become the slanderer? How did he become the devil? Well, he wanted to be like God. He was not content to be a servant of the Most High. He wanted to be in control of himself. In a word, he was not content to be what God made him to be. Now, I want to say that statement again. He was not content to be what God made him to be. This whole movement today... To change what we are born to be is from the slanderer. It is confusion. It is chaos. It is rebellion against the Most High. And Lucifer exalted himself. Listen to the words of Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 14. Thou hast said in thine heart, Lucifer, I will ascend into heaven I will exalt my, my throne above the stars of God. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. See, Lucifer was and is a spirit creature. He's an angelic spirit. And he was given great intelligence and great dominion and great authority. Lucifer's original position, given him by the Almighty God, was very much like the position which will be given to Joseph by the Pharaoh. You're going to later read in Genesis 41 and verse 40, where the Pharaoh will say to Joseph, only in the throne will I be greater than you. And so God gave Lucifer vast power and vast dominion, and he may have said, only in the throne, Lucifer, will I be greater than you. Lucifer's desire to be like God, listen now, manifested itself in pride. And pride always, now all of us battle with this, pride always manifests itself through self-will. And self-will seeks sovereignty over the divine will. So, So, Lucifer would have said this, not thy will, but my will be done. He said this, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregations in the side of the north. That was a solemn meeting place between God and his people. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. You see, he's asserting his will as over against the will of God. And as I say, his motto is not thy will, but my will be done. When Lucifer fell, he was called the devil and Satan. Devil means slanderer, and Satan means adversary. So Lucifer, his name means light bearer, became the slanderer, the devil, and the adversary, Satan, against the God who made him. Not Not thy will, but my will be done. And so Lucifer is against not only God, but he's against anyone who says, Not my will, but thy will be done. Now listen, this war against Almighty God is beyond history. When I say history, I have in mind now the human race. It is prehistory. It predates the creation of the earth. But what happened before history, as I hope to show you, has affected and does affect all of earth's history. All rebellion against the will of God and the sovereignty of God in this world from the beginning is of the slanderer. All rebellion against the sovereign will of God from the beginning is of the slanderer. The movement to corrupt, the movement to change, the movement to alter the order of the world as it was created is of the slanderer. And a few examples will suffice. To attempt to remove those who enforce law is insane we got a movement about removing all authority, including policemen and courts of law. That's insane. What is that denying? That movement is denying the depravity of man. It's a denial that natural men are not sinners who must have law in order to have order. You can't have law, you can't have order if you don't have law. That's why we have law and order. And so if you don't have law, you don't have order. And if you don't have those who enforce the law, then the law is not going to be kept. To deny God, to wrestle against God, to try to change things in this world, to try to get rid of those who enforce the law, is to say to God who gave us laws for our own good, we can rule ourselves. Thank you. We can rule ourselves. To attempt to diminish or to eliminate the rule of parents over children is hellish. What our children need is education, not indoctrination. Since parents must answer to the God who gave them their children, then they must have the final word regarding those children. There is an inexorable, that word, big word, inexorable means, it means impossible to stop or prevent. There is an impossible to stop or prevent an inexorable law in this world, a law that cannot be removed, it cannot be diminished, and it cannot be eliminated. What is it? And it is this The more the God of order is ignored or rejected, the more confusion and chaos will reign. The less attention we pay to the instructional manual, that would be the Bible, the less attention we pay to the instructional manual, the more rapidly society and its God-ordained order will break down. Now, we can see this happening right before our eyes at this present time. Let me give you a couple of modern examples. I try to stay away from these things, but I think necessity forces me. Let me give you a modern example. A very prominent man of power in these United States was recently honored in July of 2021 as Humanist of the Year. Now, you can read this article. You don't have to take my word for it. All you have to do is go on AmericanHumanist.org. AmericanHumanist.org. And you can read what I'm going to read to you was on that site. Here's what it says, July 1st, 2021. Today, the American Humanist Association, once they abbreviate AHA, AHA, A-H-A announced that scientist and immunology, Anthony S. Fauci, M.D., as the 2021 Humanist of the Year. Dr. Fauci, I'm reading this article, Dr. Fauci has identified as a humanist and mentions that he aligns himself with humanistic values. He has said in recent interviews, quote, I look upon myself as a humanist. I have faith in the goodness of mankind, and I'm less enamored of organized religion than I am with the principles of humanity and goodness to mankind and doing the best that you can, end of quote. The article goes on to say the American Humanist Association places a high value on science and reason. Listen to this now. Our tagline, they say, the American Humanist Association says our tagline is we're good without a God. The AHA goes on to say, advances the ethical and life-affirming worldview of humanism. Ethical. What is ethical? That has to do with ethics. What does ethics have to do? It has to do with morality. What does that have to do with? Well, what's good and what's bad? Well, how do you know what's good and what's bad? Well, God says what's good and what's bad. Whatever He says is good is good. Whatever He says is bad is bad. You remember when a man came to the Lord Jesus and he said, Good Master, what good thing must I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? There's none good but one that is God. So if Jesus is not God, he's not good. He said so himself. Is that not right? There's none good but one. And if only God is good, that means no man is good. We're all sinners. (laughs) And we're in need of a Savior. So it says, It says the AHA advances the ethical and life-affirming view. So, they're going to say, they're going to tell you what's good and bad. The ethical and life-affirming worldview of humanism, which without beliefs in God's or other supernatural forces encourages individuals to live informed and meaningful lives that aspire to the greater good of humanity. End of the article from the theamericanhumanist.org. The link to that is thehumanist.com. Look that one up, thehumanist.com, where you can read the following articles. Here's a, an article called, Election Results Demonstrate Need for Atheist, and humanist community to do more in 2022. Here's another article you can read. The AHA joins a brief arguing that public funds cannot be used to support religious instructions. You use public forms to perform abortion, but you can't use them for religious instructions. In other words, they don't want the Bible taught in any public area, in any school, or in any public federal, state, or local government building. Here's another one, and this is uh, the last one I mentioned to you. I had an article on the myth of free will, and in that article they said, quote, as humanists, we know that we are not responsible to any gods or superior human beings. We are only responsible to our fellow human beings. What does that mean? means we're going to be responsible to those who end up in power. And the article goes on to suggest that individualism must go. Individualism must go. Human beings function best, they said, when they're in a group. In other words, you you just forget being an individual and doing what you want to do. You need to participate in the group and do what the group wants to do. Here are 10 Ten young kids sitting in a circle, and one of, one of them pulls out, let's say, some marijuana. Now, marijuana's not a big deal now it's legal everywhere. But back 30 years ago, people were put in jail. So here are 10 people here, are 10 kids. You can pull up anything you want. Let's say it's cocaine. and uh, there's a circle of uh, kids here, and, and uh, uh, one of them pulls out some cocaine. and he takes a little cocaine. And then he passes it on to the guy next to him, or the girl next to him. Now, that person is under twice as much pressure to resist it. Then that person passes it to the third person. That person is under three times as much pressure. And by the time it gets around to the ninth one, the ninth child has to know who he is. He has to know his God or her God to resist that. He has to say, No, I don't have to have that to be accepted by the group. I want to be accepted by the Lord. And if the Lord accepts me, I'm happy, whether the group accepts me or not. This is the kind of thing now that's going forth in America, in our institutional, our educational institutions, and in, even in the federal government. The slanderer seems to be working overtime, and he has enlarged his camp in this country considerably. Now the heavenly origin of the war on earth. The war on earth started in the heavenlies. At some point in the prehistory period, Lucifer's sphere included the earth. Listen to me now. When, when Lucifer, when the devil, you read about this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4. When, when Lucifer, as the devil, came to tempt the Son of God, he laid out three temptations. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, I want you to notice what the slanderer said to Jesus regarding the second temptation. Let me read it to you. This is Luke, chapter 4, verses 5. Through 7, the devil took him up to a high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power I will give thee, and the glory of them, listen now, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. Now at some point in the past, this earth was dominated and ruled by the one we now call the devil and Satan, Lucifer. Paul calls him in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this world who has blinded the minds of all who do not believe. John the Apostle says in 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are God's children, and the whole world lies under the control of the evil one. You see, one of the reasons that the Messiah came, one of the reasons that God gave His Son was to redeem, to buy back the world. To deem is to buy. To redeem is to buy back. You see, when Adam sinned, the power of justice was shifted to the slanderer. You say, how can that be? Well, a man, Adam, whom the Lord had put in control of the world, which had previously been given to Lucifer, That man, Adam, lost the right of dominion over this world through disobedience. So a man named Jesus, who by the way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is called the second Adam, the last Adam. Jesus came to buy it back. How did he do it? Not by paying a price to Lucifer, but by paying a price to the holy law of God. According to the Scriptures, before the foundation of the world, there was a rebellion against God by one-third of the angelic host. And that rebellion was led by Lucifer. Now, I'm going to pause here. I'm going to read this to you, and then we're going to close for today. It's Revelation chapter 12, and I'm going to turn over in my Bible. Revelation is the very last book in the Bible. And if you go to Revelation chapter 12, According to the scripture, there was a rebellion in heaven led by Lucifer. And in this rebellion, one-third of the angelic host revolted against God. Lucifer was kicked out of heaven, and he came down to the earth. Listen now. He came down to the earth to reclaim his conquered territory. And all we're going to do is read it today, and then I'll delve into it right away, God willing, next week. Revelation chapter 12. There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. By the way, did you know that Joseph's second dream is almost identical to that? You Go back and read it. He dreamed about the moon and the stars, 12 stars, and so on. And she, this woman, verse 2, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns. Now you know this, all that's symbolical. That's all symbolical. Okay, now, uh, who, who is that red dragon? Well, go down to verse uh, 9, verse 9. It, the Bible interprets itself. That great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. So you don't have any doubt about who this dragon is in verse 3. And his tail, verse 4, his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. One third of the angelic host, the stars of heaven, revolted. And he did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered of her child. He stood before her to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Now, who could that be? Well, that's the Messiah. And her child was caught up under God to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared of God that he should feed her there for 1,203 score days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against a dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and they prevailed not, verse 8, that is, the dragon did not prevail, neither was their place found any more in heaven, verse 9, and that great dragon <coughs> was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. See, they call him the accuser, the slanderer, the devil. The accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. And the people on the earth, how are they going to overcome him? How are we going to overcome him? They overcame him, verse 11, by the blood of the Lamb. By the word of their testimony, what is the word of their testimony? That Jesus is the Messiah. I'll I'll enlarge on that, God willing, next week. By the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death, which means that a lot of them are going to die for holding on to the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore rejoice, heavens, verse 12, And ye that dwell in them, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has only a short time. Now I'm gonna God willing, I'm gonna deal with that chapter next week in the light of what we're studying now. I hope that you're getting out of this that Joseph is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's a type of the Messiah. He's an example of how we must learn to live regardless of what our circumstances are, regardless of what befalls us. We must keep looking to the Lord and keep trusting in Him because we don't know where our path will take us, but He does, and that ought to be enough for us. He knows, and that ought to be enough. So i close with this. My Father's way may twist and turn My heart may throb and ache, but in my soul I'm glad I know he maketh no mistakes. My cherished plans may go awry, my hopes may fade away, but still I'll trust my Lord to lead, for he doth know the way. Though the night be dark, and it may seem that day will never break. I'll pen my faith, my all in him. He maketh no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see. My eyesight's far too dim. But come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the mist will lift, and plain it all he'll make. Through all the way, though dark to me, he made not one mistake. We can trust him. Have you trusted him? Have you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ? When we say trust him, this is what we mean. We hide in him. Judgment is coming. And if I'm hiding in him, I'll be hidden from judgment. If I come to Him, that means I believe on Him. That means I'm not ashamed of Him. That means I confess Him. Oh, I have failed many times along the way, and you will too. But because we fail, He doesn't fail. And our salvation lies in His faithfulness, not in ours. In His love for us, not in our love for Him. In His works for us, not in our works for Him. We ought to love Him. We ought to serve Him. We ought to give our all to Him. But after we've done everything, and I'll have to show you this later, after we've done everything, we can say, as Jesus taught us to say in the Gospel of Luke, I'm only an unprofitable servant. I have done that, which was my duty to do. You see, everybody ought to serve the Lord. (laughs) Everybody ought to serve Him. That's their duty to do and so, once I've given all I'm going to give, once I've preached all I'm going to preach, once I've prayed all I'm going to pray, once I've just given away what I can give away, then after all that, I have to say, What did I have to give away that He didn't give me? What have I done that He didn't give me the strength to do? What could I do that He didn't give me the mind to know about? It's all of Him, my dear friends. Trust in Him, come to Him, believe on Him. And if you want to confess him in baptism, we'd be glad to talk to you about baptizing. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. Let's stand together. Amen. Amen. As we're saying, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. It's difficult to feel at home in a world that hates the God you love. And this world is getting worse, isn't it? But our God is able to sustain us by His grace. His grace is sufficient. Just trust Him. Look to Him. Rest in Him. That's what we need to do. It's all under the blood of Jesus if we're in him. Let's sing that song. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold. Under the blood of Jesus, safe while the ages roll. Under
3: the blood.
0: To have all of you today. I thank you for coming. I hope you'll tell some friends and bring them next week, and let's go on in this study about the life of Joseph, and it's an amazing life. And it's not anything in the scripture that we can't relate to it, especially concerning the children of God. So I'm glad to have all of you here today. Especially happy to have a, a friend from Arkansas, Aaron Milligan, which is down here. Uh, to your right and my left, Aaron, we're just delighted to have you today. He came here, and he's been working all this week at the Nashville Mission. The Nashville Mission. Don't you envy him? <laughs> I'll tell you what, you've got to be a special pl- person to work at the Nashville Mission. A special person. You've got to feel like that's what the Lord wants you to do. He may be coming up here, depending on how the Lord leads him, and I want you to pray for Aaron. And uh, he drove over here. He's about, uh, I think he said, what did you say, 60 miles from Memphis, something like that, in Arkansas. Let us pray. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us, who gave himself for us. And I pray that through the blood of the everlasting covenant, you will make each of your children perfect, working in them that which is well-pleasing in thy sight, To the honor and glory of him with whom we have to do, even our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. And you're dismissed.